0: you're listening to the free and true podcast welcome back everyone for episode seven of the free and true podcast we are so so glad you're here joining us for the last episode in our relationship series yep
1: that's right we are so excited because we have a few guests that are really good friends of ours please join us in welcoming Sharon and Rich (laughs) hi guys so if you guys could just share a little bit about yourselves as like individuals but also as a couple so my name is Sharon and uh, I have
2: a seventh month-old pup named Archie. He is an adorable Cavapoo. Um, we both love him to death. It's my second dog, Rich's first dog, um, but that's been taking up most of our time in our life,
3: and we really enjoy having him. Yeah, and I'm Rich. I think something about me, anything about me, I guess. So Sharon and I have been dating, or we dated for what, six, seven years, and then we've been married. It'll be five years next year, so it'll
0: mm-hmm. be a little bit yeah. A little bit larger than you, cat.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we have uh, we have Archie, and uh, it's been it's been a whirlwind the past five years.
0: Wow, amazing! We love you both, and we're so glad you guys are here. So to start us off today, we wanted to ask you one question: What is one thing about marriage that surprised you when you first got married?
2: Hmm. Oh, <laughs> this is. Uh, You know, kind of trivial, but it actually really did surprise me when we got married. So, you know, like Rich said earlier, we had been dating for a really, really long time. And honestly, I didn't think going into marriage that I'd be surprised by a lot of things because we actually took two premarital courses too. So coming into it, I was like, we're prepared. Like we went through two different churches, two marital courses, like conflict come at me, I'm ready for it. But the thing that nobody told me in the uh, premarital classes, was that you and your husband will really truly have different definitions of what it means to put things away, or put things in the laundry. Um, (laughs) So Rich has this beautiful habit that I've come to love semi a little bit, um, where he puts clothes just like kind of randomly throughout the house, whether it be boxers, or, you know, a shirt, or like a jacket. And at first, I was just like, this is so weird. I just don't understand. There's like a sock like randomly right here in the living room, (laughs) Um, or just like clothes next to the laundry bin, but not in it. And it sounds trivial, but actually in the beginning of the marriage, it definitely caused a lot of tension and got me really upset because I was like, this is such a little thing. Why is this becoming such a big thing? So that would be one of my more surprising things of our, when we first started yeah. our
3: marriage. In, in fact, there's a pair of socks in the kitchen right now.
2: And, I, and you know funny <laughs> thing, he's right. And I don't even notice it at this point because I'm so used to it.
1: That is funny. <laughs> Was there anything for you that surprised?
2: I'm sure there's a ton because we're so different.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. so one thing that surprised me when we uh first got married was the fact that you know our definitions of things may be different, and kind of kind of going along the same lines as what uh, Sharon was saying. My version of cleaning is very different than Sharon's version. oh
2: of cleaning. yeah. <laughs>
3: So, so Sharon's version of cleaning, to her credit, and to what she said before, is tidying. It's to put things away. You know, make sure that you know, everything you know that I can see is clean, is tidy, is uh, you know organized.
2: Everything has a home, in my opinion. All the th- items need to go home at the end of the day.
3: <laughs> my version of cleaning <laughs> is deep cleaning. Like you get on your hands and knees, you bring out the like the like strong bristles, scrub. And you like get everything. Like if something's something something's not white, you get it to white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and and that, that also applies to things within cabinets and within drawers and dressers. And so while Sharon's initial step towards cleaning is to put things into the closet, my initial step to cleaning is taking things out of the closet mm-hmm. so that you can organize a closet and then clean it. Mm-hmm. And what we found throughout that whole process is, is that when I was starting to clean based on my definition. Sharon would get frustrated because she would see things get progressively dirtier as time went on.
2: Yeah. I was like, what is this? This is not cleaning.
3: (laughs) Whereas for me, I just saw that as a process towards cleaning.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of my favorite moments was we were cleaning together on a Saturday. And because for me, cleaning means tidying. So like putting stuff away or like, you know, if there's a bag miss out of place, putting it back. And then all of a sudden I see rich, like, think like scrubbing the sink or something. And I'm like, that's not like on the list. Why are we doing that? And so I think that was a a confusing part of our marriage in the beginning. And then once we started realizing it was just a different definition of cleanliness, then we were able to adjust to like each other's strengths. So now I mostly do the tidying, like in the household, Rich will help out to support and Rich will do a lot of like the deep cleaning and I don't know if I could say I help out a lot in that sense, but I have started doing a little bit more of like his definition of, you
3: know, cleaning. But, the, but what I do appreciate is that I always grew up with the idea that everything has its place. So even when you place away, like a certain plate will go here, another plate will go next to it, another plate will go next to it. And so as long as we have our defined areas where things go back, I think that helps us with tidying and cleaning and putting and things away. I think in our
2: marriage, asking questions of each other really helped out because rich likes to put plates away in a certain plate section so if there's like a large plate and a small plate he likes to put them very orderly in its area for me I'm like okay as long as the plate goes where the plates go it it doesn't matter like what size goes with what and I remember one time rich opened the cabinet and he was like why are the big plates with the small plates I'm like I don't know they're just with the plates it's fine and he was like what how do you envision putting plates away and And him asking me that question, you know, in a less snarky manner was actually helpful because it opened up a dialogue and a conversation about how we view putting away things versus in the past, it would just like become a whole argument over plates and like Mm a silly misunderstanding that didn't really need to happen.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so interesting because I mean... I've been married for a year and seven months now, and I feel like this is still something that, like, I'm navigating with David, but it's really something that's not spoken about. Like, these little details that we think are just so normal in our day-to-day lives, like, how we live, how we put things away, how we have our morning routines, how we have alarm clocks, like maybe if you're like me, like four alarm clocks in the morning, like these little details that are so normal to us. When you add another person into your life, it's not normal to them and you have to learn how to adjust. And I think a lot of people, when they go into marriage, they don't know this. And so it just creates a lot of friction in the beginning because the person's not doing what you expect them to do. Yeah. Um, and so I know that's something that like David and I are are still navigating. So I'm just curious to know like how, I mean, I know you guys mentioned that like you guys ask questions to get like clarification on what the other person's idea is of, of like cleaning, but what are some other ways that you guys have learned to navigate conflict? Uh, whether it's something where you guys don't see eye on, eye on cleaning or just like really any, any other type of conflict.
3: I think what, what we learned throughout our dating experience into our marriage life is that the way that we approach conflict and the way that we communicate with each other through conflict is different between each other. Mm. Um, and the way that we process through frustrations, the way that we process through anxiety and things that just weigh on our minds and our hearts are also different. Mm. And so a lot of it isn't just about you know verbal communication, it's also the nonverbal and understanding how the other person is feeling even though they can't communicate it to you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a really good point. And I think a tool that's super helpful for us in our marriage and in our personal development as people is just becoming more emotionally aware and emotionally healthy as individuals. So last Mm. fall, Rich and I really had the opportunity to go through a curriculum with our church called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this book really addresses how do you look inside of yourself and figure out what's going on beneath the surface. Or as the author of the book, Pete Scazzarzo likes to say, what's going on beneath the surface? Because a lot of times your anger or your frustration, there's more to it than what meets the eye. It's actually more than just about plates or about alarm clocks or whatever thing that seems trivial. There's family of origin, things that are happening, things that were done in your family or communicated to you consciously or unconsciously that is actually informing the way that you're responding and the way that your spouse is then responding as well. And a lot of times... The person that we see a lot of people end up with, even ourselves, tend to be very different because of culture, because of the way they were raised, and all these other factors that then come together and contribute to your emotional responses and how you respond in general. So you know, Rich and I actually both found a lot of help in being able to take a step back and ask this question of ourselves, why am I responding the way I'm responding right now? is it because I'm stressed? Is it because of other factors? Like what's going on? Is it because this is like how my family reacts? So naturally this is how I'm reacting. To help us along in this journey as well, both of us actually go to counseling individually just to like help us grow in our emotional awareness and our emotional responses. And I don't, I can't really speak for Rich, but I know for myself growing up in a family that was very, emotionally reactive, anger was like the primary emotion in our family. So naturally, that's actually how I react. Whereas in Rich's family, his family was more reserved, and they were angry, but it was more passive aggressive anger, or like, I'm angry for you, but I don't speak to you for months sort of thing. And that plays out in your marriage as well. So really diving deep and understanding that within yourself and within your spouse is really helpful.
3: Yeah, I I wouldn't say that, you know, we don't talk to each other for months it was more of we don't address the the conflict at all yeah so it's still not good conflict resolution more peacekeeping strategy
2: yeah peacekeeping but not really peacemaking right Mm -hmm. like you keep the peace by not stirring the pot but actually the conflict doesn't get resolved and then as a byproduct the relationship doesn't feel connected or closer because you're not coming to a mutual understanding of each other. And I think one of the biggest things that Rich actually said probably a couple times in our dating and in our marriage, he had asked, like, do you really think what I'm doing is on purpose or malicious? And that question really helped me rethink the way I was responding to him because I was responding out of like, oh, I feel like what he's doing is malicious. So I'm going to attack back. But as I thought about it more, I was like, oh, he's really not doing it maliciously. This is just what he knows and how he's responding. So instead of jumping the gun and making assumptions, which I have a friend that says, assumptions make a just take the first three words of assumption out of <laughs> this is a Christian podcast, maybe it's not gonna say it, but, uh, but you know, so to not make assumptions, right? And then after you check your assumptions, you can then start communicating in a way where the individual doesn't feel as attacked.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so good. So we actually just recorded last week about knowing about, you know, who we are as individuals and kind of like the culture we come from and see how that plays into our relationships and understanding really who we are, like our identity, first in God, but then also like how culture and society raised us. So that was, that was so, so good. But one thing that you touched upon a little bit was in the conflict itself, a way that you were resolving it was through communication. And so I wanted to ask you, how did you and Rich first figure out like the means, the best means of communicating and then go about doing that in the midst of conflict? I think we're still figuring it out. hmm yeah. yeah
2: it's not a perfect science. And I think that's the thing to recognize when you get into marriage is that marriage is supposed to be this safe place where you both are growing and figuring things out as you go. And sometimes the best way to figure things out is to do it wrong. (laughs) Like you, you mess up and then you sit back and you analyze and you realize, okay, this is my part in it. What did I do wrong? And how was I receiving this communication and being able to figure out a best way forward, because anybody can communicate. I think it's about communicating in a way where you and your spouse can understand each other that actually produces more fruit. Mm -hmm. So like practically, I think for example, we had talked about triggers, how to feel, when do I feel triggered? When does Rich feel triggered? For me, I'm a very passionate individual. So if you can't tell, I talk a lot, move with my hands. And so when I get angry, it's like, I'm already at a 10, it just goes even more. And so Rich gets triggered by tone. And if, if it feels like I'm yelling at him, that's a lot for him. So I have to try to manage my tone and manage that elevation. Um, for me, I know I feel triggered when I feel like there's like a condescending tone like towards it or, or accusatory, accusatory, making me feel like I did it on purpose and then I attack like right away. It's really hard to, for me to even process in that moment. So we've talked about that too, like re- recognizing our own individual triggers and then trying to moderate the way we communicate so that the other person can actually receive what we're saying and hear us versus the other things that are getting clouded in the communication
1: I'm really glad that you guys are, are sharing this because David and I like we're still figuring all of this stuff out and honestly hearing you guys I'm like we're like the same people like it it really does feel like the same exact kind of conflict that we go through but another thing you mentioned earlier is that you both get counseling separately Now is that something if you don't mind me asking is that something that you guys decided to do like once you guys were married or were you guys already getting counseling before marriage like where where did that decision come from.
2: Um, Yeah, so we got counseling recently, actually, and it's not so much anything to do with the relationship, more so the pandemic. The pandemic has just brought on a lot of things emotionally, disappointment, discouragement, lack of joy in general for people that I think we thought... I, at least I thought it would be good for myself to get counseling as an individual. So I started counseling first for myself, not even because of our relationship, just because I thought as a person myself, I needed it because I can't show up and be my best self for anybody, for my work, for my husband, for my friends, for the people I lead. If I myself am just feeling, you know, a a variety of emotions that I can't even unpack. So I went to counseling myself and then I was sharing more of my experiences with Rich and talking about the breakthroughs that I was having and what I was seeing, how counseling was a benefit for me. And I think I had asked him, would he be interested? And yeah, that's kind of how you got started.
3: Yeah. And I, I had a friend in Boston who had shared that he and his wife went to marriage counseling once a year, which I thought was really surprising, but he likened it to like an annual physical. Like, even though you don't need to go to the doctor, like it's not a bad idea to do a check-in just to see how everything's going. And for me, that helped me flip the script between thinking about counseling as you're going there because there's an issue too. You're going there preventatively to make sure that you're dealing with things that are unseen by your lens, but you know, maybe with assistance of someone who is more equipped, they can help dig out things for you. And I think especially with everything that's been going in the last few years, I've definitely found it. Uh, a little helpful
2: yeah like for people who are dating like looking back for myself i think i should have went to counseling so much earlier personally for myself i came from a family that had a lot of dysfunction and a lot of that did play out in our earlier relationship but right rich is just so mm-hmm. gracious and kind and patient that like You know, it worked out. But I think there was a lot of work that I could have done earlier while we were dating, or even when I was single, to be honest, through counseling that I just never really thought about because it's not something big in my culture like i'm asian american first generation and it's not something that we talk about a lot or support so that's why i never did it earlier but i now after going through it and continually going through it i definitely recommend it for really anybody because we're always taking on conscious or unconscious information that can really hinder us from becoming the people that we are created to be
0: that was so so good and as a single person listening to all of the things that you learned during your marriage and what you, you know, some advice you would have given yourself potentially like when you were still dating. And as a fellow Asian American, there's a lot of things that I can, you know, relate to. And I think it's so, so true that understanding things like what triggers us or being emotionally aware, being self-aware before you get into, you know, a marriage where there's two people, different different perspectives different backgrounds and not really knowing 100% like how everything is going to mesh together like right when you come in but I did want to ask then in that same line like what advice would you give because we were talking about this last week as well um how singleness and the phase of singleness and even into dating as well or just singleness I guess in general is not the how do I say this singleness in and of itself, is not preparation for marriage for every single person. But for those who do want to get married, there are parts of you that God does work on. And because he knows, you know, your future. And I do believe that there are things in life that we go through that teach us lessons that prepare us for the seasons ahead. So I wanted to ask you guys in if you could go back and give advice to your single self or even when you guys were dating just about, you know, preparing for marriage, what would it be?
3: You know, I think if I had to look back and give myself advice, well, I know I would not, I know I would have to make sure that I don't give it off as advice because my younger self would not listen to it. (laughs) Um, But um, I think, yeah, I think what what Sharon did really well when we were dating is that she was really focused on building a strong foundation for marriage. Um, She had... She had read a lot of books on marriage, on relationships, and I did not do as much work. <laughs> um,
2: you can see my hand right now. It's a zero. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe listen to like a sermon that I sent, one or two, but
3: um, sparse. <laughs> we'll edit all that out. Um, but uh, I think... You keep um, it. It's funny. Yeah. That was the joke. That was- oh, we'll, edit this <laughs> we'll edit that out.
1: Come on, Sharon.
3: <laughs> uh, I think you're you're completely right. Like, singleness is not is not like a training ground for for marriage because mm-hmm. it is a season of your life where God feeds into you in, intently as a single person. But in the same way, like you can't predict everything that's going to happen in marriage, and so I, I feel like it's really again going back to the question, like. The advice I would give myself is, you know, continue to know who you are, uh, you know, in your identity in Christ, in what God has made you to be. And then from that, figure out how do you uh, like love really well and how do you choose to be loved really well?
2: Yeah, that's good. I agree. I think on the topic of identity, like we're always trying to figure out who we are just because you're 30 or 40 or married, you don't stop. You don't all of a sudden come to a realization of who you are who you are is the ongoing process that always grows. And I do agree just because you're single, it doesn't mean that that's the training ground for marriage, right? Like every phase of your life, there are things that you're learning and growing in that can be applied to a later phase, but it doesn't mean that that's the only reason why you're learning something is to move on to the next chapter, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't see God as like this cruel God who's like, okay, if you hit this mark, then I'll move you on. Like, it it doesn't achieve these
3: 10 single points. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Right. I, I I don't feel like God is like a video game or like a God about achievement, right? Like you have to achieve and then you can move on. Um, the God that I believe in is a God that is gracious and compassionate and meets you where you are regardless of what you're achieving. So I think the, the first thing kind of going back to your question is I think for myself, I was searching for a lot of answers when I was single and just, you know, prior to marriage in general, like I was looking for a lot of answers in general to big life questions. Um, What does it mean to be a woman of God? What does it mean to be, you know, what does a godly marriage look like? What does it mean to use my giftings? I think I was searching a lot of external questions, which are good. I I think those were good things that I gained, you know, a lot of knowledge in and understanding in as time went on. But I think I would have liked to ask myself more questions. I don't think I did enough self-reflection earlier on in my younger years and enough internal interrogation, possibly because I'm more extroverted as a person. So a lot of my processes come as I talk about it and I don't do super well with self-reflection. But I do feel like asking yourself, why is this job so important to me? Why am I going after this job? why do I want this out of life? Why do I care about this so much in life? Really helps you figure out um, some of the deeper things that might be driving your motivations and shaping your identity. Or like, why do I not want to go to counseling? Is it because I want to avoid it? Is it because I don't have enough money? Like, okay, but if it's because I don't have enough money, like, I have money for other things. Like, why do I prioritize this over that? You know, mm-hmm. and I think asking those deeper questions of myself would have helped me grow a lot more. Something that I did really enjoy that I feel like I did really well in was surrounding myself with really close friends who had the same big picture values as me. And when I say big picture values, I don't mean like oh, we want a house or we want a family. It's more like the value was like how we want to use our life. Like what purpose do we want to use our life for? And because we are Christian, you know, a lot of it does surround our faith. But I do think having that community, and for me, it was of women to surround myself in really also helped me grow exponentially as well.
3: You and David also dated for a long time. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Um, you know, if you were to go back to your 14-year-old self, your 13-year-old self, what advice would you give little young cat about this 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 boy that just showed up in her school, you know, <laughs> asking her to, I don't know, the eighth grade dance?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess just, just to give a little bit of context. So David and I, we met, I was 14. He was 16. I was a freshman. He was a sophomore. And, yeah, we just kind of randomly met. He slid into my Facebook DMs. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, hey, I was like, hi, do I know you? And then he was like, yeah, I see you all the time by your locker. So all in all, a little while later, we 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 became friends. And then you know, we started dating and we've been together ever since. Um, But I guess... If I could go back and give myself advice, I would say I definitely agree with like understanding or trying to understand like my my identity because I've mentioned this before, a few times before in like a couple episodes, but I've struggled a lot with like feeling good enough and I know you guys are familiar with Enneagram, so I'm I'm a one, so i always like doubting myself and on top of that when I feel like I'm not good enough then I quickly get upset with myself and I, I release that unto others and so a lot of conflict that Dave and I have had as we were dating and you know still a little bit like in our marriage it has been a result of my insecurities or me feeling like I'm being threatened or accused of like not being good enough when in reality I just wasn't secure in myself so I wish that I could have gone back I could go back in time and maybe seek counseling sooner on because it similar to for me growing up getting counseling was always kind of like I don't know like frowned upon I guess like it was like if if you're getting counseling then like that's bad and like right like, like something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like something's wrong, and like you, you need more God or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was always very hesitant towards counseling, and I, I really pushed it aside until college. But then it wasn't until the past few months where I started going to, to counseling. So it took such a long time
0: mm-hmm. for me
1: to feel comfortable enough, secure enough to go to to counseling. But I feel like if I would have done that so much sooner it would have really helped me to navigate conflict with David because something that I really struggle with is communication Uh, because I don't know how to communicate my feelings and I get frustrated and then I'm like why can't I do this I'm not like a good enough wife to be able to communicate my feelings and it's just a whole spiral but I feel like if I would have learned these strategies so much sooner I would feel more secure in myself And then also I would have been able to navigate conversations a little better to avoid having such big blowout arguments sometimes that like really start because of nothing. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, because there is such a lack of communication on my end and we're similar as in like, I'm, I'm very expressive, very passionate person where David's a little bit more, not a little bit, a lot more passive. So, when we're going back and forth with for each other, it it does spiral, you know? And so I just think if I would have gotten the help sooner, it would have prevented a lot of that and a lot of that doubt that came from those arguments because then it was like, well, if we get into so many arguments, especially in the first year of marriage, mm. it's like, if we get into so many arguments, like, is this is this good? Like, mm. did we do something wrong? Like, is like did I get into something that like wasn't of God and Mm -hmm. you know I'll I'll be honest I feel like some those doubts like creep in sometimes because it's like well why are we arguing so much but I think that's that's the truth behind marriage that we don't really hear about right so you know those free and true podcasts so we're learning about the truth about things but I think Mm -hmm. one of the truths is that The first year of marriage is not rainbows and sunshine. It's not all a honeymoon phase like everyone I feel like portrays it to be. Like I feel like everyone kinda like brushes like mine and David's marriage off in the beginning and just like, Oh, you guys are just like just starting off. You're just in that honeymoon phase. (laughs) Really, I feel like it's so hard because we're really trying to merge two lives together that as you guys had mentioned earlier, it's so different. So, yeah, I mean All that to say, I think just understanding myself, going back and telling myself, like, hey, get counseling. It's going to help you, girl. (laughs) It's going to it's going to help your relationship. It's going to help your marriage and really prepare you for that. I think um, I think that's something that I, you know, I would have done.
2: Yeah, I um, I agree. Uh, I think. Something that you're saying that I think is really important for those who are newlyweds, married, long time, or seeking to get married is normalizing the idea of conflict and arguments. Mm -hmm. Like they will a thousand percent happen. No matter how much preparation you do, it's still going to happen. And I would see it instead of like a negative thing because people tend to, um, our society tends to view anger as a bad thing, but even Jesus got angry. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's more about how do we um, how do we use our anger and make it productive, um, and make it actually uh, grow, like our marriage and our relationship. And so I think you know normalizing conflict and anger, um, but not like uh, not letting the anger be. The end all be all. Uh, use the fights almost as like a training ground um, that you're mm-hmm. like learning about something, learning about each other, um, and and growing from it.
3: Yeah, and two things that I that I took away from what you were saying, Kat. One is that you know even though you you may be dating for a long time, you know there's still there's still room to grow, and as individuals and as a couple, there's still so much room to grow. Mm-hmm. And so especially when we head into into marriage, it's not like this, like the end of the, the dating journey, like, oh, we finally level up into like being married. Yeah, it's just the start of commitment, like true commitment, and then like, going through the growing pains and learning more about the other person working with the uh, baggage that they have, because we all have baggage. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of how much.
2: Yeah, I think too. Um, virtues to develop in your character in marriage that has developed me that's been helpful is humility and giving grace. Mm-hmm. Um so humility I think is recognizing that your faults are just as big as the other person even though when you're in a fight it's so much easier to focus on theirs. And grace meaning that you give them almost like giving I don't know if it's the benefit of the doubt but it's like extending um like love and compassion to somebody when maybe they don't deserve it in
3: that moment well, i think it's i think it's like you know what you were saying before when we were talking about communication and conflict it's about from the initial onset assuming that we're on the same team assuming that we're yeah. not going against each other we're with each other where mm-hmm. they're just like there's like there's never going to be no friction in a relationship in any relationship or in anything you do and so you know you just have to identify like what's healthy and what's not healthy
2: yeah Yeah. I think what's also really helpful, it was helpful for us prior to us getting married and also while we're married is that we actually have friends that are married Mm -hmm. couples and we talk openly with them about our conflict and they tell us about their conflict. Mm -hmm. So one, it normalizes the idea of conflict because you're like, Oh, I'm not alone. But then two, when you have another couple You start seeing yourself in the other couple, and it's much easier to point out where the other couple went wrong than it is to see yourself. So when you can analyze another couple and be like, oh, I do that. And I can see how that's unhelpful. You then start translating it back into your relationship. And it's like, oh, okay, how can I bring that lesson that I've learned from this couple into into our relationship? And we've been blessed to be able to have couples of all ages, right? Like we've had those who are younger than us in our lives, those who are same age, older than us, that we love to just like take out to dinner, right? And like have real conversations. I feel like that's really important is having that community.
3: And and I think one of the, like one of the large benefits about having those relationships is that they're in different, life stages than we are so they may be you know, newlyweds they might be you know married for five years or ten years they might be married with kids like newly married kids married for like 10 years and then have kids um, but each of them provide fresh different perspectives that we can then uh use in our own relationship
1: i definitely like that you guys mentioned that you guys surround yourself with people because i really think community is so important in a marriage because I don't know, I feel like maybe some people think you get into a marriage and now it's just you two, but really it's important to surround yourself with other people. And when David and I were preparing for marriage, we also went to marriage counseling. And we realized during our marriage counseling that we never really had a really good example of a godly marriage because my mom, she's a Christian, but my dad... Was not not that he was like an atheist or anything, but his uh, his beliefs were not on the same level as my mom. So I I didn't really have that. And I mean, David had um, his parents, but his dad passed away uh, when he was I believe fourteen. So he didn't really have time to view marriage, you know, later on in his life when he was like becoming more of a young man and like in in our relationship. So we realized like, oh, shoot, like we no- don't really have a lot of godly married couples to look up to. And so entering into marriage, that kind of became one of our goals where we wanted to find other couples that we could relate to, that we could, you know, spend time in fellowship with because that that is important. Because like you said, like you can see yourself and other couples, you can realize like you're not alone in these conflicts that you have, because I think it could get really lonely in a marriage sometimes, if you have the mindset of like, oh, it's just you two.
2: Yes, I was going to say, Kat, I think you're absolutely right, because that's a lie that our culture tells us that I think as Christians, we can we have the chance to dispel, you know, God is not a God that sits alone. He loves community. And so I don't know why like culture and sometimes even within the Christian culture, there's this idea that once you get married, like you shut out the rest of the world. Um, but I do feel like it's so important as a married couple to not just get comfortable with you and your significant other, but to invite others in to your house, to your community, because that's the only way you'll really grow. Like, there's no way that you can grow with just one person. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't be the one that satisfies, you know, every everything or bring you every perspective, and that's a lot of pressure
3: to put on your spouse mm-hmm. as well yeah but we we actually had probably opposite experience that some some couples have we're very independent and we like when we were dating we 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 had long distance dating for about three and a half years so we were really used to living our own lives and then you know also being a couple and so when we first uh when we first were married we actually had to carve out time for like ourselves because we were so like we had things to do during the day Uh, i mean sorry we had work during the day but we had. The things we had to do after work and we had different friends and so i think we we always came from a place where we have a lot of people around us and i think a running joke that sharon and i have is that you know if if i go away for work or if sharon has you know something that she has to do we use it as an opportunity for like either having a sleepover or just like doing something with other friends so it's it's i don't know i I think it's it's different for each couple but you know it is important to have uh, Mm -hmm. that community
2: yeah I do think you're right, Rich, like we are very independent and we had to learn what it means to be a couple together because we're long distance for three and a half years. So, Mm -hmm. so, so easy to fall into being independent. I think what has helped us over time and something we're still refining and still working on is like priorities for our marriage. So we have a calendar on our fridge that sometimes gets updated. Sometimes we forget about it, but we try to use that calendar and the guiding principles that we have on the calendar to help us prioritize what we want to spend time on as a couple and as individuals that will grow and feed our marriage and help us as individuals grow. Because you can't do everything, right? Like as you get older, you get more responsibilities. You just recognize that you just don't have time for everyone and everything the way maybe you used to when back in the days of college, when you could just like go and have a 2 a.m. conversation with somebody <laughs> relationships for four hours, right? It was great. And so now the calendar kind of helps us prioritize like, okay, what do we have to keep in the front of us? And for us, it's our relationship, individual relationship with God. Then it's each other, then family and like close friends with who are basically like family to us. The areas that God has called us to use our giftings or what you would like to call ministry and then the last is like those outer people in the outer outer circle. And I think that helps kind of like center us and guide us in terms of like what we're doing with our time as a married couple and how we're being intentional about time together, but time outside of our marriage. Because for us, we view marriage as a, as a way that God uses us to like demonstrate God's love for people. And so we don't want it just to be me and him in the house all the time because then nobody really gets to see that. And nobody, and we don't get to experience other people either and grow, like I said earlier.
0: So good, so, so good. I did want to bring up a Bible passage that's brought up pretty frequently, at least in Christian spheres when people talk about marriage. Um, And it's Ephesians chapter five, verses 21 to 30. And for those of you listening who don't know, this passage talks about submitting to one another and wives submitting to your husbands as you do to the Lord. You know, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And then later down in the passage, it talks about husband loving your wives just as Christ loved the church and giving himself up for her. So I wanted to, well, first take a step back and say that this passage is, (laughs) could be very controversial, depending on, you know, which sphere you are in at the moment talking about it. Um, But I did want to hear your opinions on it, because I think it is, well, it is truth. It is the Bible. And I wanted to see how you guys applied it in your marriage.
2: Who's gonna take a crack at this controversial <laughs> first?
3: I don't find it controversial. Uh, I, like, yeah. yeah. I feel like you wouldn't, because you're the man. Yeah, I can get my way and everything. I mean, Where you know, I don't lie, why. So. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, you know, I think. I think. You know, when it comes down to it, and when we think about what Christ's teaching is, it's you know, love the Lord your God, and then love uh, your neighbor as yourself. And so when we think about what it means to truly love, what it means to sacrificially love, I think we look back at how Christ loved us. And so, you know, for me, I think if we're to think in that lens, then it's really about thinking about the other person. Like it totally goes back to remembering that we are like, we're on the same team. We are like one team. We're not trying to break each other down. We're trying to build each other up. And so even, even when it's something like there's a criticism or if there's conflict, just remembering that like the goal is not to win in any of those. The goal is to make sure that at the end of the day, like you're heard, you understand the other person better. You know, I, I think that passage is used a lot when there's like uh, ultimatums. Like I, I see that passage used a lot for ultimatums, like if like let's say If like, I want something, Sharon wants something different. Let's say I want to move to Alaska and Sharon (laughs) wants to move to Arizona, two completely different climates. And we really feel God pulling us, then yes, I'm gonna pull out Ephesians and I'm going to have my way because, you know, Alaska is a promised (laughs) land. (laughs) Um, But I, I think it really comes down to like, you know, God will open doors that will that will make our family flourish and it's not about my way or her way it's, it's where's god leading us together
2: yeah yeah i think that's um you know that's really well said i don't know that there's anything i would add on to that
3: because my way is the best I know, I
2: <laughs> well i i think um no it's okay you can submit to what i said it's I I think it's interesting right because when you look at the passage typically when people look at this passage they they just look at wives submit to your husband Mm -hmm. and that's when the conversation stops right and kind of Tiff what you were saying like when you look down further it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and so there is this mutuality that is happening Um, both people are looking out for each other and it's not that one is greater or lesser than the other I think It's important, though, to make a little bit of a theological distinction as well, that if you are complementarian versus egalitarian, you might view this passage differently, right? Like egalitarians are those who view women as like equals in the even in like the church, like in leadership roles that women can be pastors and preachers. And that's a whole nother discussion. And then complementarians uh, don't believe, there's a spectrum, right, to complementarians and egalitarians, but typically uh, complementarians wouldn't think that women can be in a pastoral role. And so like, when it comes to the Ephesians verse with the ultimatum, complementarians would tend to be like, okay, if my husband wants to go to Alaska, I would go to Alaska. Whereas egalitarians kind of view it as like, it's a mutual submission and the Lord would lead both of us and the Lord wouldn't speak to Rich and not speak to me. And I think we tend to lean more towards the mutuality because when you look at the Bible, Jesus uses women for his mission a lot of times. Like he even uses women to carry out like the good news that he has risen, right? Like mm-hmm. technically all the men abandoned Jesus. It was the women that were left. <laughs> and there's tons of different examples of how Jesus elevates women who typically in society, especially back in biblical times, were viewed as second-class citizens. And so I think it does give way to a little bit of our interpretation of this mutuality approach and that women were elevated. So it's not so much about God only speaking to men and women just kind of have to follow. If you are a Christ follower and accept Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit into your heart, like the Holy Spirit would be guiding both you and your husband. And if you guys are humble enough to humble yourselves and really listen for Um, how the Holy Spirit is guiding you to love God, but also love your spouse. I think it is possible to arrive at some sort of mutual ground, especially if you start looking at motivations, asking yourself like, why do I wanna go here? I'll give you a very practical example. Rich doesn't like New Jersey and wants to move to Boston eventually. I don't really care. Like I like New Jersey, I like Boston too. And that was difficult for us for a while because Rich was always kind of like looking at Boston. And in his heart, he wants Boston. But I kind of challenged him and asked him, Is it your heart wanting Boston? Like, what? Or is it actually God leading you there to use you? to further his kingdom and his mission. Cause it's two different things. Like, yes, God can use your desires to further the mission, but sometimes there are seasons where God takes you to a place where you may not enjoy, but he wants to use you in that place for a specific reason. Um, and so I challenged you know, Rich on that to kind of help him even sift through that dilemma that he was going through. And ultimately it landed us here in New Jersey.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean even the Israelites had to go through 40 years in the desert before they hit the promised land. So, you know, 35 more years in New Jersey and you know.
1: <laughs> and then you'll be in Boston. Yeah.
3: yeah. No, I think I think um you know, Sharon hit it right uh, th- like the nail on the head like at the end of the day like God calls us to be in a specific place in his mission and you know what we always imagine to be like our future or like what we want to do may not actually be what God wants us to do. Mm -hmm. And we always have to remember to to think back and to really introspect on, you know, what are our motivations versus what is, uh, whether or not those motivations are aligned to God.
2: Yeah. And so for like, as a household, as a couple, when you do have those disagreements, right? Like where to move or what to do, or like, should we do this or do that? I think it is important that both people are praying, being spirit led and really asking themselves like, hey, like, is what I want really furthering God's agenda, or is it really my own agenda? And you know, God's not going to divide a household, so ultimately it'll lead in a, a certain area. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much about which gender is leading that discussion. Mm-hmm.
1: That's good, and I, I really appreciate you guys sharing example of that. And you know, I think Sharon, you had mentioned that this verse is controversial because usually it's just like that one part in the beginning, but really you do have to look at it you know, look at it as a whole and come to those mutual agreements and understand that, you know, God will use you as individuals but also like as a couple.
0: So, to wrap up, we wanted to ask you guys one final question and that would be what has been the greatest blessing about marriage because we did talk a lot about conflict in marriage and ways to navigate lack of communication and all this stuff, but Obviously, marriage is, you know, this amazing gift from God and just a life journey with, I would say, your best friend. So we did want to ask you guys, what's been the greatest blessing about marriage so far?
2: Yeah, I can take this one. Marriage has been actually a huge blessing for me. A little bit just quick background about my story. My parents had a really dysfunctional marriage and very abusive, and they ended up getting a divorce. And for me, for a long time, I never wanted to get married because Mm -hmm. of the example I saw growing up and always just thought, why would anybody want to get married? Mm -hmm. Fast forward to becoming a Christian and God really changing a lot of things in my life, I met Rich. We started dating. I, you know, God started refining me through it. And once I got married, you know, yeah, we have fights and conflict, but our marriage is nothing like my parents' marriage. Rich has never like been violent towards me. I've never felt like abused. And it's really made me see God's love and patience and kindness so much more clearly because out of the two of us, Rich 100% has more patience than I do. And he has given me, Rich is what I mean by he, has given me a safe place to grow to mess up to have bad conflict management and still feel loved at the end of the day and know that no matter what I say or what I do rich will still be in my corner and still be there for me and is rooting for me there's a lot of things in my life that I don't know that I would have the courage to do without his encouragement and not just rich right like I have close female friends who also encourage me but rich has always been my biggest champion like he's always told me you should write a book or something about, you know, X, Y, and Z. And for Christmas got me a journal with like different prompts to help me think about ideas for it. And so I think I've really, really appreciated that. And I've seen how God can use, you know, our marriage or rich to really show me the beauty of marriage, something that I never saw growing up.
3: And and I'll just add for the record, if things were ever to get physical, I would not win the fight. <laughs> uh, you know, I play by playground rules, you know, like, there's certain honor to fight, and Sharon plays by street <laughs> rules, so like, you know, you just want to sure. win. For I fight uh, dirty for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I would never win that, but um, I think, like, in the future, I think, you know, a blessing that we look forward to is that, you know, we have the opportunity to continue growing as individuals. We have uh, opportunities to continue growing in, in Christ. You know, we have opportunities to continue growing in our waistline um, with the person that we like love and want to be with and and just find a lot of enjoyment in you know there's a sublime joy that comes from that
2: yeah i really hope the waistline thing doesn't happen that much at least for my (laughs) sake so my (laughs) personal waistline i would like to keep at a normal rate but yeah that does happen when you get married too the marriage weight is real
1: oh yeah it is (laughs) i gotta buy new pants (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, we truly, truly appreciate having you guys uh, with us on this episode. And it's been, I know for me, it's been such a blessing hearing you guys. We thank you for your vulnerability. And, you know, we pray that God continues to bless your marriage and that anyone who's was listening to this episode, we pray that God blesses your relationship, whether you're dating, engaged, married, or single. Stay free. Stay true. See you next time.
0: Thank you.